it's Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. This is episode 54. <clears throat> I had a really interesting experience this week, so I'm going to make a podcast about it. It's going to tie together a wide variety of my interests and my life experiences, and I hope it's going to be inspiring to you guys. Um, basically, what happened was I made a little uh, Facebook post after watching the um, launch and the landing of uh, the Jeff Bezos project. And, you know, people picked up on it. It was a little snarky. It was a little, uh, it was humorous. I thought it was funny. Anyway, so it got, it just started getting all these shares on Facebook. And then it, this morning I woke up and it, somebody pointed out that I was on the front page of Reddit and it had gotten 30,000 likes, which I guess is sort of going viral. Anyway, but it really seemed, uh, I'm going to call this podcast for all mankind, and it has to do with how we all contribute to everybody else's well-being through our transformation of our own challenges and suffering. And uh, it's very profound. It's a very profound concept that I'm going to try and elucidate in this podcast because it, if, if it's grasped, it, if it's grasped, then it can be really transformative in our own lives when we feel like we're part of something that contributes to the well-being of others. Even if the way that we're part of it, um, hurts. Anyway, so basically what I'm going to start with is, you know, I saw the launch this, this, this week and I thought it was sort of, you know, I thought it was, you know, it was a bit silly. I thought that I'm not going to lie. It's a great achievement, I guess, technology wise, but so where is my position to wryly observe it and sort of be kind of critical? Well, I had this, um, fabulous experience Uh, when I was five years old. And it somehow ties in to this going viral this week. And the experience I had was my mother's, a friend of my mother's had been in a relationship with Edgar Mitchell. And Edgar Mitchell, he's a fascinating character. He was one of the Apollo astronauts. And he was in the he was in the Apollo program, and <clears throat> he actually was scheduled to be on the Apollo thirteen flight. Um, and they they bumped him so that I can't remember. I think it was Alan Shepard, who'd been in the program longer, could be on the Apollo thirteen flight. And if you've seen that movie, it's a phenomenal movie because it is really about everybody using their resources and their brilliance and their gifts to help these guys who are going to be lost in space. And that's what the mission becomes. It becomes everybody using their resources collectively to get these guys home that they all care about and, you know, are human beings and have families and have lives that they want to continue. I remember seeing the movie. I'm getting kind of choked up about it now that they didn't know if they were going to be able to go through the atmosphere because of the state of the craft. And in the movie, you see the craft 
with the parachute opening. And I remember being in the uh, theater and it sort of made me, it choked me up like it's choking me up now. Because it was just so amazing that all these people had done this for the well-being of people. And what um, Ed, Edgar Mitchell had done during the actual episode, not in the movie, but in real life, was he had worked. He had worked in the simulator trying to figure out what was possible in them negotiating the uh, re-entry in reverse, in reverse of how they usually did it because the craft was damaged and they couldn't do it how they usually did it. So he reverse engineered it in the simulator, figuring out how they could do it. So he was part of that. He was part of them being able to get back. He was a big part. He was the astronaut on the ground. Anyway, he then went on the next mission to the moon. He went to, and the, he went to the Apollo 14 uh, mission that was to the moon and he went to the moon. And on his way back from the moon, he had a mystical experience. He basically said that you can't look out at the earth and the stars and not know that there's some grand designer and that everything's intended exactly how it is. And that the miracle of the earth being the distance it is from the sun and having the atmosphere it does and supporting life and supporting humanity he just got completely overwhelmed by that. And what he said on seeing the earth from the moon was you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it. From out there on the moon, international politics look so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter of miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. Um, Anyway, so he then founded this this uh, this place. It was in it was in the Bay Area, of course. It was called the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and it was really about uh, paranormal phenomena. It was about uh, ESP. It was about UFOs. I mean, it was it was it was it was really consciousness research, and it was about um, creating a bridge between science and religion all pretty, pretty high end stuff, you know, and I think a lot of these astronauts were really special guys, you know, who had a huge capacity, not just in science, but a capacity to have awe and appreciation for the experiences that they had, which, you know, in their own way are super mystical, getting that kind of objectivity on human life. You know, I, I've always had enormous um, admiration for them. Anyway, so somehow, my mom's friend was uh, dating Edgar Mitchell. And this would have been 1974. It would have been the summer of 1974, I think. Um, and so I would not, not have been six yet. I think, um, I think I was going to be six. And so we traveled as his guest. Uh, or actually, it was 1975. So I was, I was six, it was in July. What the Apollo Soyuz mission was, was the Americans and the Russians were meeting up in space. They were launching separately. They weren't launching in the same, in the same, from this, in the same module. They were, the, the Soviets were launching from the Soviet Union and the Americans were launching from Cape Canaveral. And they were meeting up at the space station and sort of working together. It was really symbolic more than anything else. Um, but, 
I had the good fortune of, of he had invited my mom and our family to, to, to view the launch. And so we went, we went to Florida. And one of the things that happened there, it was so funny. He had this assistant and she was incredibly beautiful. Her name was Susan Swanson. I don't know if she's still alive or where she is. Um, she lived in Palo Alto, which was where the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences was. And I think she was a refugee from the Grateful Dead scene, you know, in the Ken Kesey scene. Like, I think she was part of that whole world. And she was incredibly beautiful. She was tall and blonde. And I remember she, she smelled like lemons. And I was six. And I followed her everywhere. And I actually, we had a date. Like, I asked her if she'd have dinner with me. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. We had dinner and, you know, we went out to dinner. And she, I remember she, she, my mom said she told my mom I was the best date she ever had, that I was incredibly polite and, and thoughtful. And, and it was just too bad I wasn't 20 years older. But anyway, but it was really the first time that I became, uh, I got a crush on, a, on an adult woman like that. And it was just super fun. And anyway, so I remember when we went to the launch. And I think I went with her. I think we were hanging out. We we're kind of having a launch romance, but it was super sweet. Anyway, um, when we went to the launch, what I recall is that the capsule had been painted gold. And so you could see it, you could see it, you could see it shining in the sun. And the launch pad was five miles away from the uh, viewing area. Like, that's how far away you were. I think that's how all the Apollo missions were. I don't know if it was different for the space shuttle, but I remember it was, I think it was five miles away. And when the Saturn V rockets uh, lit up, which each one of them was over 300 feet, because that's just the technology that they had. Each one was over 300 feet tall, and there were two of them, I think. I think that's how it worked. I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a flight engineer, but... I remember that when maybe that when it started to lift off, even though I was five miles away, the ground was bouncing. Like I could feel myself being lifted up, like my heels and my feet were getting bounced up and down, even though we were five miles away by the power of the rockets. And then when it began to lift off and the golden domed, uh, the Golden Dome craft went up into the air so fast. I mean, it was going so fast. It was like a bullet. Um, it was really a mystical experience. Like it was really, like I would say it was the, maybe the first and the most profound mystical experience I ever had because I realized that humanity had created this, that the understanding and the intention and the capacity and the genius of human beings had made this craft possible. I mean, it was really, really incredible. And I was so moved by it. And I, I think about it almost every day. And I, I know that I had the great good fortune of being able to observe this. And so, and, and more than anything, you know, it was kind of this Aquarian ideal, this age of Aquarius ideal that you know, it was so striking because it's the same thing as in the movie about Apollo 13 is it's really people using their talents for the benefits of all humanity. And 
it was super moving, even as a six-year-old. And I feel really moved talking about it now because it was sort of like the polar opposite of what happened this week. You know, that really seemed like, wow, we can make money with space tourism. And, you know, Jeff Bezos brought his cowboy hat into the module so he could wear it out when he got off. So he could step out when they landed in his cowboy hat. Um, and it was really, it was really like a negative image of that. It was, it was the, the polar opposite of the intention of that particular mission, which I got to see. And it's not just about astronauts. It's not just about space exploration, which, you know, if you really think about it, you know, the moon's a hundred thousand miles away. And I know I put this on my post, but the universe is 10 million light years wide physically. And then that's only 1% of the universe, according to physicists, 99% of it's non-physical. So it's, it's not very much. Even going to the moon is not very much. Even going to Mars is not very much. And going to Mars is like some kind of heaven space fantasy because there is no um there's no atmosphere on mars and i guess the plan now is is that to set off atom bombs over the uh, ice caps and melt them and create an atmosphere <laughs> which just sounds so ridiculous but the the point of all this is we all every one of us whether it's jeff bezos Orlan Musk or me or you, we all have our challenges. We all have our traumas that we've endured that have caused us suffering. And in a lot of instances, those traumas and that suffering have designed our lives so that we know what our lives are about. But more importantly, what they do is they give us compassion for the suffering of others, for all of humanity, so that we know we are part of something that each one of us is initiated into our humanity by our suffering. Joseph Campbell said that's what the crucifixion is about. And that's kind of a myth that's passed because that's a Pisces age myth. And in Pisces age myth, there's avatars like Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad. And then there's intermediaries, which are clergy. So you don't really have access to the experience they have other than in your faith and your belief. But you know that Apollo mission, those Apollo missions, those were part of the Aquarian myth. It's an it's a epoch change. And um, even this is what Joseph Campbell said about, about the crucifixion. He said each one of us in our own way has our own crucifixion because it's the way that this kind of eternal spirit becomes aware that it's willing to bear the suffering of humanity and its own suffering, that it comes to recognize itself as incarnate. In, from a, a full potential, full realization state into the realization of these are the dynamics of my life. 
And in resolving these dynamics, I can contribute to humanity. That's, I, he didn't say that last part. I said it. Um, and that's, I think, why I was so like, kind of put off by what Bezos did, because he, he just made it about him. You know, and, you know, one of my favorite quotes ever um, from a famous person, I have two favorite quotes, and I think I might have said them on the podcast before. One was, I was reading this Rolling Stone article in the early 90s, and this reporter had gone on, um, he'd gone on tour with the Grateful Dead, and this was a time when the Grateful Dead were selling out football stadiums. It was in the 90s, it wasn't the 60s, early 90s right before Jerry Garcia died, and there'd be 70,000 people in the stadium and then 70,000 people outside the stadium trying to get in. And um, the reporter had spent the week with the Grateful Dead, and he'd mostly spent the time with Jerry Garcia. And he had also previously written a cover story on the Dalai Lama, and he said to Jerry Garcia at the end of the week they spent with him, he goes, you know, I, I just wrote this article on on the Dalai Lama, and... You know, I spent a week with you and people respond to you. People don't respond to the Dalai Lama with any more reverence than they respond to you when you go places. Like people are just as reverential of you and just as respectful and just as excited that you're there as they are the Dalai Lama. And he said, but you seem to have a genuine, um, you seem to take that and you seem to have a general, genuine humility in the midst of all that. And Jerry Garcia smiled at him and he said, well, if you were me all the time, you'd have a lot of humility too. <laughs> and I love that quote. And it goes along with another quote, which I think I've often used, is in that uh, Cary Grant was at dinner and a man came up to him and he said, you know, every time I see a Cary Grant movie, um, I think to myself, I wish I was Cary Grant. And Cary Grant looked at him and he said, you know, I have the exact same experience. And what ties this together in what happened this week is all of us, you know, are given gifts and challenges and difficulties and suffering. And if we look at ourselves as a vehicle of transformation, if we look ourselves like if I can help myself with this, I can help others. If I can help myself with the dynamics of my challenges and my suffering and then make it something that's a benefit to other people, that is the statement of my life. And I'm quite sure that Jeff Bezos is really challenged in a lot of ways. Um, and just because you know he had the resources to, to do that rocket launch, um, it doesn't, he doesn't exist outside of that. And oftentimes, you know, in my work with astrology and with psychedelics, people are like, well, so what's the meaning of life? And my response is because you can see this in people's astrology charts because they have, uh, dynamics of transformation. They have potentials of transformation in their, in their structure of their consciousness but it's designed out of conflict. It's designed out of difficulty. And if they can transform that 
if that they can make that into something that is then useful to other people to help um, relieve their suffering or to provide insights into life for them, then it all makes sense, no matter what it is. Because I and my work come in contact with people who have incredible trauma, the worst. But it's not non-transformable, whatever it is. It's all transformable. But it is transformable if you see its purpose. If you see that this has been laid upon me for me to transform. Because only I can do this part. Only I can do this part for everybody. And if you are able to see things that way, if you're able to see your challenges that way, then it's no longer a burden, but it's a blessing. And that's the important thing for people to realize in the work that I do with them is it's not a burden. It's a blessing. And I think that, you know, the the post I made about Bezos this week, I know he gives billions of dollars to charity. And I know that he doesn't give as much as his wife's already given. But, you know, he, he I know he's become aware of that. But, you know, he's guys mostly been interested in uh, commerce. So I'm always surprised when people don't switch over when their dreams are realized that way. But oftentimes it doesn't. And maybe if I was in that position, it'd be hard for me too. But it reminds, but the most important thing, and then that's a lot of buts, is you know, I always recall the scene from a movie. It's an amazing movie, and I would recommend everyone out there see it. And it's really hard for me to recall the scene without getting choked up. But the movie's called Fearless, and um, it's a Jeff Bridges movie that was directed by Peter Weir. I think it came out in the early 90s, I think 1992, 1993. It grossed $6 million. It was the bomb. It was a bomb. It might be Jeff Bridges' best movie and best role because it's about this guy who survives a plane crash. It's based on a true story, but it's written by this, it's a novel written by this South American novelist. I can't remember where he's from, but Peter Weir directs it and the movie is fearless. And he, in the beginning, he survives a plane crash that not everybody survives. He's one of a few survivors. And then the whole movie is about him making sense of being alive after he'd kind of accepted that he was, his life was over. And what's he going to do with his time now that he's been given more time and he'd accepted his moment of death and he's really obsessed with death and um, he's having problems in his marriage. It's, it's a crazy movie. It's, it's a brilliant movie. I'd recommend everybody see it today. But in the end, they show the plane crash. And you can see it on YouTube. It's a plane crash scene in um, plane crash, plane crash scene in Fearless. It's kind of terrifying, but it is maybe the most profound few minutes of film ever filmed, because what happens during the scene is they know the plane's going down and they're preparing for it. And he's sitting there and he's with his business partner, who I think they're architects. And his business partner is trying to call his wife and trying to call his kids and say goodbye and. Jeff Bridges notices that there's a little boy sitting by himself. And he gets up while the plane's rocking and rolling. 
And he goes and he sits next to the little boy. And he sits down next to him and he puts his seatbelt on and he turns to him and he says, everything's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And, and it's just so, and the boy looks at me so terrified. And it's just so profound when people put their capacities in the service of others with kindness and compassion and generosity and humanity. And that is really, you know, you hear all this nonsense about the age of Aquarius and all that sort of stuff. And it is the age of Aquarius. It's here. You know, um, something came to me a few weeks ago. It was a, it was like kind of a poem. Like sometimes I hear that stuff and it was, um, we're all working so hard on our, to help ourselves and to help one another. Aquarius is here. Do not be discouraged by the enormity of the challenges. Do what you can. The young are here to do the rest. And there are so many challenges in the world right now, and mostly, you know, the, the primary one's the environment. And it's so overwhelming. But we can all do what we can do. That's the point is every one of us can do what we can do to help one another and to help with the challenges of the time. And that's all we can do. But we can, we can join together in that. And we can, create humanity, we can create community out of that. And we can create movements out of that. And we can create lifestyles out of that. And we can create... Uh, scientific progress out of that. And once that's recognized to be part of something, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the challenges. It's not to suffer. It's not to be overwhelmed by global warming, which people have known about for 50 years and not really done anything about. Like if you watch um, Soylent Green, which I think was made in 1972. It's all about a world where it's so hot that nothing grows. And everybody, and you know, at the end of the movie in 1972, they give a big thanks out to the, to the USC uh, Environmental Sciences Department. So we're in the midst of something that's going to take everybody. And it's going to take everybody's inspiration. And it's going to take everybody's innovation. And it's going to take everybody's love for humanity to help fix it. And I have no doubt that it's designed to do that. Just like individually, each one of us is designed to work through our own insurmountable challenges for the betterment of everybody. All right, I hope you guys uh, felt inspired by this. I did. And I hope you have a great day. And you can check me out at www.goingquantum.org. And uh, if you want to review this podcast, you can do it on Apple Podcasts. And this has been Robert Mitchell. And I've enjoyed this uh, podcast so much. I hope you enjoyed it too. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, this was for Gabby.
Oh, oh. 